Hi, this is Day for Night with Cutting Out Switch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater, poetry, and the edgelands in the wilderness. In today's episode, I'm going to read from a play of mine called uh, Memories of Overdevelopment. It's a play that's had some development, <laughs> as they say, at different theaters and uh, colleges. And it's currently um, in pre-production, uh, at least at the time of this podcast, for uh, production to appear um, in February. So um, I've been thinking about it again, obviously, because it's in the air. We've been talking to designers and things like that. So. Um, even though the play is relatively new, I've been writing so much that I think uh, it kind of came back to me uh, as I was working on it in the design with the design team. So all to say uh, that uh, I thought I'd read some, some from it today. Um, this is a section called Memory Reel uh, number three. Uh, the play is uh, divided into sequences that are interviews for a documentary film. And then these sequences that I call memory reels that are that exist in a much more suspended space. Uh, they're meant to be kind of interludes, as it were, in the body of the play. And they're told in the voice of the documentarian of the interviews. Uh, so, so this one is um, the third one of these memory reels and it's a, um, a kind of um, a story that's about family. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. Okay. Uh, memory reel number three, the filmmaker tells a story from memory in real time. So when I was about seven, I was playing with a new friend in our backyard. They were new, even though they had lived in the neighborhood a long time. We went to different schools and our families didn't, quote, mix. My family was working class, but they wanted to be middle class. Now you must understand, my family's people had gone through everything and lost everything. Their losses, political, emotional, material, had been huge. So their whole focus was to be aspirational, to get ahead, or seem as if they were getting ahead, even when they were simply moving in place. My family never owned a house, owned a total of four cars in their entire lives, and all their furniture was old. They even kept the same mattress for like 20 years. You know, ick. But it was a cost-saving measure. And besides, they said it worked just fine. My new friend loved dandelions. Uh, they were obsessed with them. I merely found them to be a curious natural phenomenon. Puff, puff, dandelion. My new friend said that each puff was a wish, and we had to wish for something new each time because we were poor and we were entitled to wish for things. I asked them, what if I run out of wishes? 
my new friend said. What the fuck are you talking about? Now, here's the thing. I didn't curse. Not at seven, anyway. So I was kind of shocked. Because it felt strange to use a grown-up word. And not even in a moment of rage, but, but simply in a minor conversation about dandelions. My new friend asked again. What are you talking about? And at this time, I had gotten past my initial shock, and I was starting to get a little angry, a little stirred up. I can ask whatever the fuckity fuck I want, I replied. My new friend looked at me, took a bunch of dandelions into their hands, and blew all their heads off. Puff, 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 puff. Until all the dandelions in the yard were gone. What you do that for, I said. As you said, you didn't have any more wishes. And I have fuck all. They stared at me. I stared back. We got into a staring contest. Now, my new friend was not backing down, but they were getting red in the face, welling up with anger or frustration or who knows what. Like Frank used to do back when we were friends, before all the fascist shit. I, in turn, was getting scared. But I didn't want to back down either. And after all, I'd lost my chance at making my wishes. And I was fucking pissed. New friends started to tremble, enough to show their fear, or maybe it was just their body reacting. I slapped them hard across the face. They looked at me and very softly said, you're just like my family. And then they threw the dandelion stems to the ground and walked away. I watched them, ripe with my own sense of defiance, but also, why had I hit them in the face? Why had I hit them at all? A sharp breeze cut through. I looked up. It started to rain. And that's from uh, Memories of Overdevelopment. Just a small section of it. Um, and then I thought I'd also um, read from something relatively new, in fact, quite new, uh, that I've been working on. Uh, probably doesn't need a lot of context because um, I'm going to read from the opening, <laughs> so I don't think it needs context in that regard. Um, uh, this is a, a piece that right now uh, is untitled. Um, so I'm not sure I'll say much more about it other than just read this opening sequence. Untitled new piece. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, 
The last thing you will remember is how you held my hand. How my fingers curled and the small calluses on my thumb made you wince. They reminded you of labor, the cost of labor, how it wears itself on the body of a person over time. You will look at me and wonder what I have done with my life. It will be the kind of look that will not be reproachful, as was your way once back in the days of Lyme. This look instead will be quiet, inquisitive, seeking soft answers to hard questions. And I will smile like this with my eyes, as I am doing now in these days of forgiveness. It will be the kind of look that startles you, not so much for its frankness as for its mischief. You cannot begin to imagine what mischief I have in mind or that my capacity for it has dwindled to a soft ache. My entire body aches, even though you cannot fathom why. To you, the person I am will always be the person birthed on a quiet night the miracle child coming through a canal of ordinary human passage, tender, gasping for air, not a thought in mind about the cruelties of the world or the hollow promises made by its callous, opportunistic leaders. To you, the person I am will always be the person given over to the mysteries of life. A rapturous child, painting swans on the shallow water. The swans used to come out in summer, and back in the days when summer was a season you could count upon. The swans were restless, loud, disruptive in intent, if not in appearance. They marked the sound of the town we lived in, a town called Meridian. And you always said it was a strange name for a town, because how could one town be a circle of constant longitude passing through the Earth's surface and the terrestrial poles? I said I didn't care what our town was called that the swans came by. You said, Tristan Child, you should stop painting swans. Embrace your ugly ducking side. The world only has room for a limited number of swans. It'd be best if you accepted your plight. You said things like that then. You said things like that because you wanted to teach me things about the world and our place in it. You said things like that because your name was Is, just Is, and you wore your name with an air of certainty. At the time, I was like most children. When I replied to a parent, I resented anything that smacked of certainty. I could sense that the world was ambiguous by design. Certainty was a trap meant to ensnare us. If we accepted it without as much as a fight, we would be trapped forever within its rigid lines. Your sense of certainty is fading now, here, on this last night. You are an occasional flare, a reach for the skies, a defiant cry against the heavens. You are surrendering, finally, 
What if I'm certain? So am I. It's not something I embrace with lightness. My stubbornness is inherited from you. I too wish sometimes to cleave to a world that no longer exists. Old comforts, nostalgic songs, a blue moon over the lake on a Friday evening. You and I. And smell of lemon soap. I ask if you've been washing things with lemons. You say lemons don't taste like lemons anymore. The earth has become foul due to the ravages of humankind. Your hands are the repository of memory. I lean close, taking in your smell. And ordinary bodies dance with time. I try to remember what you smelled like when I saw you last. All that comes to mind is the spectral scent of cotton candy. You hated the fairgrounds when they were taken over by the carnival rides. Oh, back then, both of us wanted the fairgrounds to ourselves and to the people in our lives. We wanted the humble kiosks where you could haggle for a prize without shooting anything in sight. And the unsophisticated games that only asked us to place our heads in an open slot and wear a fancy person's cardboard outfit or the camera's eyes. Instant photo in her hands for under five. When the carnies came through, they brought with them histories of danger, stories of lawlessness, oil-based desires that had nothing to do with what we wanted from life. Except that we did sometimes. We wanted the thrill of romance, bad signs, falling for damaged people because we wanted to heal their damage. We wanted a taste of the bad side, the feeling of lawlessness without any of its burdens. Now you'll laugh when I say this. You know it's true. You spent your whole life trying to protect yourself, but deep down inside, you have this need for something different, something that will liberate you from the tyranny of nice. You don't like when I say this. You want the whole world to be nice. It's a common fantasy. I won't deny its appeal. Nice is a useful cover for all sorts of deeds. But we'd have to go far, far back to the beginning of time to write the savagery that has brought the world to this very moment. I could cry. I don't mean to be mean. It comes out that way sometimes. I say things forthright. And look things in the eye. I try not to be a dreamer, even though I'm dreaming all the time. You were the one that said, I needed to put my feet on the ground, buckle up, take things in stride, for this was going to be a long, hard, and bumpy night. You said, like in the movies. I said it back. We were both in the movies in our mind. Dreamers in black and white. What was it about the old movies that messed with her eyes? Ah, uh, this makes you laugh again because it's not the eyes. It's not a physical thing, but it's in how we see things. The movies, the fairgrounds, the places of light and dark delights tell us stories about ourselves. Stories we'd rather keep in our hearts, away from view, away from the looks of judgment that used to greet us on Sunday mornings.
And that's just a snippet from, uh, at the moment, untitled, maybe I'll call it Swans for now, uh, piece uh, that's brand new that I've been uh, working on. So a little bit of memories of overdevelopment today and a little bit of Swans uh, to round out the episode. Um, as always, this is about you and I in this theater, you there in the dark and I here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening today or night.